Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Tuesday. It is January 16th. We'll talk about Jordan Love and if he is a elite quarterback already. We'll also get into the first look at the San Francisco 49ers. And then we will finish off the pod with talking about how Marquette got back to basics in their win against Villanova. But before we get going, follow us on social media, Tabby the Keg on X or Twitter, however you want to call it, uh, Tabby the Keg Sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok and Facebook for that matter. Uh, If you are already following along on all of those, uh, or if you're visiting us and you're new here, uh, welcome. We're glad to have you. Uh, We do this thing four days a week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday this week. Um, So Mitch and I uh, do a podcast once a week, and then I do solo pods three times a week. Mitch and I are getting on it on Wednesday night after the Bucks-Cavs for the Thursday show, so stay tuned for that. And yeah, that would that will be the show this week. We're on Apple, we're on Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. We appreciate all the love and support. And make sure you leave a review. If not, uh, drop us in a group chat. Drop us to your friends. Spread the good word of tapping the keg. Tell your family members. Tell your sons, daughters, uh, relatives, whatever it may be. I, I know we got some older listeners, so I I just want to make sure that we're not we're not segmenting them out like. Tell your family members, tell your brothers, your sisters, whatever. Anyone who's a sports family, I would bring more people into this Tapping the Keg family. Uh, and let's get going. Let's talk about Jordan Love and being an elite quarterback. Elite quarterback, uh, the term is so cliche. It's so cliche, it hurts. I feel like I'm cringing saying the term elite quarterback. But Jordan Love has entered himself into the conversation. Jordan Love has got himself a seat at the bar. Jordan Love is ordering a drink at the elite bar right now for quarterbacks because the what he's been doing for the last nine games has been absolutely absurd. Jordan Love is on a complete heater and you could argue that Jordan Love right now is playing the best quarterbacking out of anybody in the playoffs that is left. Josh Allen might have an argument against him, but it might be Love and Allen and that's it. And they're on another tier than everybody else. And Jordan Love has suddenly found this sort of God tier. And it's not just, hey, he's making a couple big throws a game. He's doing all of them. He's making the key third down plays. He's finding the guys in the end zone. He's going off script to get touchdowns like the one he did for Dontravian Wicks for the third down play. He's doing out of this world shit that makes you just laugh in your chair like the fourth down conversion to Romeo Dobbs, which is one of the best passes I have seen all season from anybody. And I know I'm biased as a Packer fan, but that is true. You will not see something better than that. Jordan Love is doing things that not even Aaron Rodgers, not even Brett Favre were doing. And while you want to rein yourself in, while you want to make sure that you don't go over the top and you don't cream your pants like your Jim Levenstein in American Pie, there is something about it that you just cannot help yourself. You have to speak the praises and the gospel of Jordan Love right now because that is how good of football he is playing. And Honestly, no matter what happens in the game against San Francisco, if the San Francisco game is a complete train wreck for Jordan Love, it's still, it will not take away from what he's done. And now he will know what he has to do to get himself to the next level. I think that a problem with the former quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, Mr. Aaron Rodgers, is that he got to this God tier years ago. And then when he got smacked down, it was always the defense's fault for a long time. And then I think as years went on, Rodgers didn't want to put in the work because he knew what it took to be elite. He didn't keep building on being elite. That is the difference between him and Tom Brady. That is why Tom Brady has more Super Bowls than him. That's why Tom Brady, I think, will ultimately outplay him in terms of career longevity. There's a reason why, because Tom Brady kept building to his craft and never fucking settled. I think at a lot of points, 
Rodgers settled. But this is not about Rodgers. It's not about Tom Brady. This is about Jordan Love. And if he is an elite quarterback, he's definitely elite. I don't think that there is any debate. I think the question of where you put him in the elite hierarchy, where you put him in terms of the categories of quarterbacks, that to me is the conversation. And I think if you were to ask a lot of fan bases right now, Jordan Love would be a near untradeable guy. There's maybe two guys in the league that I think you're trading for, maybe three that you're potentially trading Jordan Love for if you think about the next five to 10 years. And that is absolutely fucking absurd that we are having this conversation and that Jordan Love is into the second week of the playoffs and the hype is building around him. It is it is definitely not stopping. You know, the NFL was posting a lot of Jordan Love content, which I don't think was by accident. I think the NFL sees the star on their hands, knows what the Packers bring from a ratings perspective. And yes, the rat, the Packer uh, Lions or Packers Cowboys rating was absolutely bonkers uh, for Green Bay and Dallas. But yeah, Jordan Love has just been on another level. So this is from Ross Algram to further the point about Love's December and January so far. 69.4 completion percentage. Remember when we were all freaking out about his completion percentage? That's third in the NFL. 14 touchdowns. That's first. 90.7 PFF offensive grade. First. 90.3 PFF pass grade. First. Big time throws. 15 of those. He's second in the NFL. 0.328 EPA per play. Expected points average over play. That's first. 7.4 CPOE. I'm going to be honest. I don't know what CPOE is. That's one of those where when I see all four numbers for advanced networks besides DVOA, I just kind of bounce. Uh, 53.3 success rate, which is second in the NFL. Jordan Love, I don't think that it's just a heater. I think that this is the makings of an elite quarterback. I think this is what Green Bay saw all along. The worst part of Green Bay being good is Ty Dunn getting the victory lap, but he nailed it. I got to give credit where credit's due. And he nailed that. And he got it exactly right and knew all along that this was in him. And the people who Ty Dunn talked to when they used Mahomes comparisons, which sounded absolutely out of bounds and still probably kind of is, if we're being honest, is not so crazy anymore. And Jordan Love is at the elite table. And he's at the bar and he's having drinks with those guys. And now it's time to see if he can put a special cherry on top with the San Francisco 49ers. Again, we talked about this and we talked about, you know, the fact that it it doesn't necessarily have to be greatness here. If the Packers lose this game by 10 points, which is the spread, I don't think anybody's faulting Jordan Love. Again, he just knows what he has to do next year to get the Packers past this level. But if he's able to do the unthinkable and get Green Bay to the NFC Championship game, playing either the Lions or the Buccaneers, then then we hit a whole new stratosphere. And then we're starting to kind of talk about the way we talked about Joe Burrow in the 2021 run with the Cincinnati Bengals. Although I'd argue this is more improbable than even that Burrow run because the Bengals were, they won the division that year. They got hot a little earlier, but we've seen time and again in the NFL. It hasn't happened in a while. I think the Packers closest comparison would honestly be the 2011 Giants, as ironic as that is, where a team, you know, who really was toiling at certain points, figured out a way to pull it all together and make an incredible run to the grandest prize of the Super Bowl. I don't want to think that far ahead. I just want to think about San Francisco. But as much as San Francisco has worried me in the past and still worries me because they are one of the best teams in football, I'm not as scared as I I was I would be with Aaron Rodgers. Simple as that. Rodgers had demons with that team. D'Amico Ryans owned Aaron Rodgers. Nobody's there anymore. It's a brand new ball game and we'll see what happens. So I want to talk a little bit further about Jordan Love's eliteness and kind of where it is right now. 
we look at the short term and we look at the long term and we're going to rank them we're going to have fun because let's do it i mean i know ranking quarterbacks is usually a summer activity but let's just have a good time with this nfc north i think i'm taking jordan love over all four three guys uh justin fields jared goff kirk cousins like no there's no question about it short term long term i feel that jordan love is the king of the north and that's hilarious that that the transition of power did not even we didn't even get a year uh for anybody else uh in the nfc east you have jalen hurts you have dak prescott you have sam howell you have daniel jones all long term i'm taking jordan love over those guys short term definitely howell and jones i think for hurts and dak it's a little bit tougher. Uh, Hurts, I think, for the long term, I feel good about saying I would rather have love over Hurts. I think Hurts is going to get the label of a system quarterback. I don't know if that's fair just yet for him, but he's going to hear it. And I think he was really banged up, and I think that's what they will sell to the media, that you have no idea. J- Jalen Hurts is a warrior, yada, yada, bullshit, bullshit. But I, I still think I'd rather have Jordan Love. I, as for Dak Prescott, I know Dak has been a historically bad choker and he's looking like a guy that's just, he's kind of a yeah, but he like, he, he, he's a regular season merchant, if you will, but he's still a really good fucking quarterback. And I, I think I'd rather go Jordan Love over Dak, but I, I think there's more of a discussion as crazy as that sounds, than you maybe want to believe it. I think Dak just, it's a little too much pressure. I just wonder like if you put Dak in, in, the, in Miami, right? If you trade him for Tua, not to say they would, but if you did do that deal, would Dak be better with Mike McDaniel and less pressure with the Dolphins? I, I kind of think he might be. Uh, NFC South, I'm taking all four. Uh, Carr, Ritter, Baker, Bryce Young. I know Baker's been playing well, but there's no chance in hell I'm taking him over Jordan Love. Uh, Kyler Murray, Matt Stafford, Brock Purdy, Geno Smith. Short-term, yes for, the, for two. Uh, Purdy, easily the toughest call. I, again, that's another guy where it's like, is it a system or is Brock Purdy legitimately the next version of Tom Brady? And I mean that in the sense of just out of nowhere, late round pick, probably not going to be MVP, but he's damn going to be damn close to it. And is that because of the system and the talent around him? Or is it because Brock Purdy is actually a fucking great quarterback? I, we'll, we'll see it for our first hands on, on Saturday. Uh, Matt Stafford's still really good. I, I think I would have a tough time with him in the short term. I think that's one really close. Um, definitely not long-term though. Long-term wise, I, I feel good about taking you know three. Again, the Purdy one, I, I still think I'm gonna go love over Purdy. Probably go all four there. Um, but in the end, so in the NFC, it's, yeah, it's pretty clear cut that Jordan Love's one of the best, if not the best from a long-term perspective. AFC, uh, Tua Zappi, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers. Short-term, yes on all three, and long-term for that matter, uh, no on Josh Allen both ways. Um, I, if you were telling me, could you have Josh Allen or could you have Jordan Love, what would you prefer? I would take Josh Allen. I just, let's remove the blinders a little bit. I, and I know Josh Allen, you're like, well, what about the interceptions? Guys, we, we'll watch Brett Favre forever. And if you kind of dig into Josh Allen's interceptions, a lot of them are on fourth downs. A lot of them are arm punts. It's it's a little bit fraudulent. And I think that's why so many people were like, don't sleep on the Bills. Don't sleep on the Bills. And sure enough, Josh Allen was incredible, I felt like, on Monday night uh, against the Steelers. In the North, uh, you have Joe Burrow, you have Lamar Jackson, you have Kenny Pickett, you have Deshaun Watson. Short-term, yes on Watson and Pickett, as well as the long-term. Uh, no on both Burrow and Lamar. I I think, though, the, the thing with Burrow is long-term wise, he's getting a little old and he's had now two major injuries in his career. I, I still though, like Joe Burrow's got to a Super Bowl already. I think, you know, where it all ends up in the next five to seven years, love might be a little higher just because of the age and the injuries and stuff like that. But if you're like, would you rather have Joe Burrow or Jordan Love for the next five years? Uh, I think if we're doing the exercise, I think I'm still... I'm still putting Joe Burrow ahead. Like, I still think you have to put Joe Burrow ahead of those guys. I, I know that that is, that's hard to do, but it's really hard for me to not say Joe Burrow. Um, and the same for Lamar Jackson. Like, Lamar, 
I've been critical in the past. I felt like Lamar Hat was a, a system guy. He's kind of broken out of that system. He's probably the MVP this year. He's now going to be a two-time MVP. Like, you can't really dispute what Lamar Jackson has done this season. Trevor Lawrence, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis. Short-term, yes, on the three. Long-term, I think Lawrence is still TBD. I think the talent's there. I just, I don't know if it's Doug Peterson. I don't know if it's just the Urban Meyer PTSD, but I I still believe that Trevor Lawrence can be special. Uh, CJ Stroud, and you could argue too, like just as an aside, Lawrence kind of had the year that Jordan Love had last season, where the Jaguars came sort of out of nowhere a little bit, made it to the playoffs. They won the division too. And then they had this incredible comeback against the Chargers. And really, they were in that game with the Kansas City Chiefs when Mahomes gets hurt. And they they were I they were just it was the moment was a little too big for him. And that's I think your worry for the Packers is will the Packers, and we'll talk about this as the week goes on, but are are they gonna have that moment like we talk about with golfers who have who've never won a major before and they're and someone's leading the Masters. And all of a sudden, like on 13, they realize they're leading the Masters and they duck off one because it's like, holy shit, I'm leading the Masters. I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe I'm going to fucking win the Masters. So with the, like my, one of the recent examples, the best example, that Mito Pereira, remember that in the PGA Championship? Is that 20, was that 2021? 2022, Mito Pereira, where he was winning it. It looked like everybody was like, oh, Mito Pereira is going to win the PGA. Like this is, this is out of nowhere. No one saw it coming. Uh, there was a lot of hype around Mito Pereira. You know, was Chilean with uh, Joaquin Neiman. And all of a sudden he just fucking just awful shot off the tee and opens the door for Justin Thomas to win in, the, in a playoff. Um, so and that is a worry of mine for Saturday. Anyways. Uh, uh, Stroud is an MVP. He's right there with Love. I, I think they're interchangeable. I think they're going to be debated about. Would you rather have Stroud or Love? I have a thought on that when we talk about the next five years. I think I'd still go Love over Stroud only because CJ Stroud is played an AFC South schedule and the worst, the worst in the AFC. I think Stroud's next year will be interesting. I actually think the Texans might be a, de- a sneaky, fade, good fade team next year. Uh, just keep that one in your back pocket. Anthony Richardson, jury's still out. I have no idea. Uh, AFC West, Mahomes, Herbert, Russell Wilson, Aiden O'Connell, short-term and long-term, yes, for two. Herbert, really another tricky one. I'd probably put him over love right now just because we've seen we've seen it in a longer, there's a longer resume for Justin Herbert. I realize he doesn't have a playoff win. I realize Jordan Love has a playoff win. I realize that Herbert had a choke, but I, again, that's coaching. That's Brandon Staley. I don't know if that game that game could be entirely different and the Chargers could have won that. And who knows, right? I think long term, next year, we easily could be talking about Jordan Love over Justin Herbert. So if I was really looking at it short term, I would say that it would be, I'd probably go my quarterback. I, so I, I did the entire list here. So I'll run through it really quick. Mahomes, Allen, Lamar, Burrow, Herbert, Love, Stroud, Purdy, Stafford, Rodgers, Dak, Goff. To stop there real quick, I would probably say that elite category would basically end at Aaron Rodgers. I would say I still think Aaron Rodgers deserves that until we know he's washed wash. I still think the talent is there. Maybe that's a bias of mine and maybe I should kick him out of the club, but those are what I would put in the elite category. Then that next category would be Dak, 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 Goff, Jalen Hurts, Kirk Cousins, Baker Mayfield, Tua, Trevor Lawrence. I would probably stop there and kind of your game manager, system guys, things like that. And then the next level of dudes, Kyler, Geno, uh, Daniel Jones, Justin Fields. I think those are like the talents there, but it, it's like the yeah, but guys. And then it's like Minshew, Pickett, Carr, Wilson, Russell, that is. Good enough for government work, let's call those. And then the kind of the worst of the worst, uh, Sam Howell, Deshaun Watson, Bryce Young, Will Levis, Desmond Ritter, Bailey Zappin. Now, if I were to do the next five to seven years, I actually think weirdly, the first four guys would be the same. 
Burrow is the one that I have, like, I think is the biggest debate because I think you could really make a case that Joe Burrow, at, at his age, he's 27. So, right, he'll be, he's kind of like just starting his prime. He'll be 28 next year. So, I, I think you have to knock Burrow down. And, but, like, in that, so it's like, I still think, though, next, you know, you're still going to want Patrick Mahomes. And Patrick Mahomes is 28. You're st- even though five, seven years, like, I still think you're not going to say it's not Patrick Mahomes. I think, jo- what's Josh Allen here? Josh Allen, so what's weird is, like, Love and Stroud are sort of the next generation. They're all right around the same age. I think, actually, Lamar is a touch younger. No, they're all the same age. It's fucking crazy. It's crazy how that works. We've seen this time and again with the NFL where it's, it's like, in spurts, Right? So, but I, I still think those guys, just given the way quarterbacks are protected, it's hard for me to move off those four guys. But then I think after that, I would put Jordan Love as the next guy up. And I, I would put him as the next guy, just long-term, what you expect. I think Herbert, Herbert's right there, but I, I just like... I feel like I've seen enough of Herbert where I'm like, where is he? He's 25. So he's a little younger than those guys. He's right around Jordan Love's age. So I I think I would put Herbert next and then I'd put Stroud. And I know Stroud, I think Stroud might be even too low. But again, I, I, I caution about the schedule and everything like that. I think they have a better chance to getting blown out than the 40, than the Packers and the 49ers personally. Um, and then I would say Trevor Lawrence. That I still have Trevor Lawrence stock. I'll keep Trevor Lawrence stock. Then I'd say Dak, Purdy, Hurts. I'd probably put Richardson right there, um, just ba- based on talent. I'd go Kyler a little higher. I mean, Kyler made a playoffs game. It uh, didn't go well for him, but he made one. Uh, and then you have Tua, Daniel Jones. Then I knocked Jared Goff down. I'd still put Fields there, Daniel Jones, Bryce Young. So like that's kind of the list. Um, I'm sure I might have left somebody off there, um, just thinking the next five to seven years. But man, it's I, I it's still kind of I, almost out of this world, out of body experience that we're having this conversation. That we're talking about Jordan Love as this elite quarterback and where he sort of fits in. But he's there. He's in the elite quarterbacks club, and I don't know if he's ever leaving. Moving on, we're staying with football, but moving on to the San Francisco 49ers and the matchup that meets the Green Bay Packers on Saturday evening in Santa Clara. It'll be the Green Bay Packers' first trip to Santa Clara in a playoff format since 2019 in the NFC Championship game. The Green Bay Packers have not beat the 49ers in the playoffs since 2001. They've met four times before that. Uh, we had the infamous Colin Kaepernick uh, at Lambeau Field in the cold, a game the Packers should have won nine times out of 10. The old Packers would have won it, but Jim Harbaugh came into Lambeau and pulled Mike McCarthy's pants down and spanked him. Now that Packers team wasn't very good, but still, uh, that should have been a Lambeau home field advantage game. It wasn't. The Niners went on a last second field goal. Uh, the, then we had the, the 19 or 2000. Or no, we had the, the other Kaepernick uh, where Dom Capers should have been fired. That was actually a year before, um, and Dom Capers didn't lose his job. He actually kept his job for seven more years, or whatever it was, eight, what was that? No, actually five, five more years? Yeah, because Patton goes in, and then LaFleur fires it, yeah. So yeah, but he kept his job five more years. And then after that, that actually that was the best, because he gets torn up by Kaepernick. Uh, Eric Walden will be forever etched in just not reading Colin Kaepernick at all that entire game. And Dom Capers after that's like, I've studied zone reads with with college coaches. It was like, that was the big storyline heading into the next year. And they were playing the 49ers the first game of the year in San Francisco. And the Packers got mollywhopped again. Um, and then, yeah, they lose in 20, 2013 in the playoffs to them. So back-to-back years losing that 49ers team. Uh, and then they would lose again in 2019, and then they lost again in 2022 in a game where they clearly should have won that game. I was there for it. I, I think you still can't believe they lost that game. Uh, only Packer game I attended, but uh, playoff game I've attended. But yeah, the Packers are 0-4 after weirdly owning the 49ers in the 90s. Um, 
one fun fact that I feel like you should all know is that the Green Bay Packers were 10-point underdogs against the 49ers in 1995. Packers and a young Brett Favre came into Candlestick Park and no one had any expectations for that young Packer team. And what happened but was the Green Bay Packers coming into San Francisco and beating the 49ers. That was the year after the 49ers had won the Super Bowl and everybody expected a rematch between Dallas and San Francisco and Green Bay absolutely denied it as 10-point underdogs in one of the biggest outright wins in NFL history. So if you want something to cling on, it might be that. It might be the fact that the Green Bay Packers were able to stun the 49ers. And that was a weird, weird playoff playoff series where the Green Bay Packers and the Green Bay Packers also jumped down the throat, 21-0 to start that game. And it, there's some weird... There's some weird little things in this game where you're like, wow, could you see this happening? Like this is from Wikipedia. Uh, the Packers jumped out to a 21 to nothing lead en route to a 27 to 17 victory. Sounds like what they've been doing lately. They drove down the field for seven minutes before Chris Jackie got a field goal blocked by a 49er safety. But then they, Wayne Simmons forces a fumble and Craig Newsom returns it for a touchdown. And the Packers are able to go down the field uh, and score yet another touchdown. And so it was, I mean, they stunned the world. No one expected, it was the only time, listen to this, this is crazy. Think about how lack of parity in the NFL there was in the 90s. This is the only time in the 1990s that an NFC team won a divisional playoff game on the road. Wow, that is absolutely nuts. And then they would lose to the Cowboys. And so began the Cowboys and Packers. But that was year two for Brett Favre. Or actually year three. Uh, and then the next year, the Packers go on to win the Super Bowl. Now Jordan Love has the, the same opportunity. The same opportunity presents itself. And that 49ers team is very good. Um, they are not the best like the that year where Dallas was. But this is a really good 49ers team. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, Brock Purdy, Christian McCaffrey uh, against Joe Barry's run defense is something that will keep you up at night. Tony Pollard did have holes in there. Uh, Christian McCaffrey gets going. It could be a long day. And Christian McCaffrey could rule the day for sure. Debo Samuel on the edge. There's not a lot of guys that... Green Bay has to keep up with Debo Samuel. If Jair Alexander, it's kind of imperative that he plays his ankle injury. LaFleur said he couldn't have played if it was a close game, uh, which is not great. Um, and he gets one less day to rest. Uh, I, you kind of need Jair at full strength against Debo, uh, given the speed of Debo Samuel. It's actually not a bad matchup for Jair Alexander. We talk about all the time about how Jair is limited against some of those bigger wide receivers. Uh, George Kittle, I always call Greg Kittle shot part of my take. Uh, not exactly easy either uh, in the middle. Uh, that will be a big test for Quay Walker for the safeties. We've talked about how Darnell Savage has kind of turned around his career uh, with the Packers. And this will be a big moment for him. This will be a big opportunity for Darnell Savage to step up and try to slow down George Kittle, who has been a thorn in the Packers' side. Uh, I mean, I, really, honestly, everybody has. Trent Williams has been a thorn in the Packers' side. Kyle Shanahan has carved up Joe Barry. Kyle Shanahan has went to work against Joe Barry, you know, in, in regular season games. Now, in the postseason, when they had Jimmy Garoppolo, they struggled. They did not play well uh, against Joe in the in that game. Um, they they were held to pretty much nothing before that blocked field goal was was really or block punt excuse me was the difference in the game and so you, that is somewhat of a solace but i purdy is a much better quarterback than jimmy garoppolo christian mccaffrey is a lot better than whatever they were running the football with in that game so this is a this is new for everybody and i think there will be a big feeling out process between the two teams i i, I think that i am 
I will talk myself into the Packers winning at some point. It probably might take till six o'clock on Saturday, but I'm going to do it. I'll wake up on Saturday and think the Packers are going to win because that's just the type of fan I am. I, I really am on like, I just, I, I can't help myself. I, my heart gets in the way. And you know, my wife was like, oh, like were Packers supposed to win this game? I said, no, not really. But I, I think people felt confident about it. She's like, how confident do you feel about next week? I'm like, not really. Like, I'm not gonna lie to you guys. Like, let's just, let's just cut through the bullshit. It's, it's not going to be an easy game, right? And there's reason to fret because you know what the 49ers are, even without the history. They are a really good fucking football team. But they've been beat at home. The Ravens got them. The Cincinnati Bengals got them. So it's not like they are unbeatable at home. It's not like they have this massive home field advantage that is one of the most feared in the NFL. And I think what Super Wildcard Weekend taught you is that it's it's a pretty wide open league. And we thought that all year. And I know people want to say it's Baltimore and San Francisco and everybody else. And it might end up being. And we might just see that at the end. It might get a rematch of the 2012 Super Bowl. But it's it's not, it's kind of hard to, to really say that after what we watched this weekend. I think the biggest winners, you know, were the Packers and the Bills. To me, the Packers, Bills, and Buccaneers. Now, the Buccaneers take, take advantage of an Eagles team that was dead? Maybe. And we'll see. I, I think that it's a weird situation because you look at the Lions and you're like, oh, the Lions acted like they just won the Super Bowl last week. But now you have a Buccaneers team that I don't know if it's that good. So it's a, it's a hard give or take. We have an NFC and AFC South team still in the in the whole thing. I was told by somebody if the Bucs and Texans are in the Super Bowl, Goodell's going to just create COVID again. Um, we're, we're just not going to happen. Uh but like, I, I think that there is just a lot of unpredictable nature about San Francisco. And we, we didn't really touch on their defense. I mean, their defense is nasty. I mean, they have they have got Nick Bosa against that Packer offensive line. The offensive line for Packers has been great. Nick Bosa is a real test. They are, they are motherfuckers. They are going to get after the quarterback. They are going to try to bump and run as much as possible and hope that things get don't get called. Eric Armstead is a monster in the middle. That Josh Myers against Eric Armstead gives me nightmares just thinking about it. You're going to need a lot of help from Elton Jenkins. Uh, Dre Greenwall, Fred Werner, uh, Tredavious Ward are all really impressive guys. Orrin Burks has had a breakout sort of year for them, uh, the former Packer. Chase Young is just hanging out on their bench. Same with Randy Gregory and Javon Kinlaw, a former first rounder. Like they have a loaded front seven and it's it's extremely impressive. Uh, and then, but I, I do, I'm not like entirely all the way in on their secondary. Like uh, Demar Lenore, uh, Trevavious Ward. Uh, I didn't even know Logan Ryan was on their team well. Tayshawn Gibson, Amber Thomas, like, J.R. Brown's talented player, uh, strong safety that probably wish was on the Packers. But, uh, and they also have a rookie kicker too. Uh, so I, I think there are ways around it. I don't think that this is like this lockdown secondary. I think Jordan Love can make some plays on him. It's just a question, will he get the opportunity? He's had such clean pockets the last few weeks. And this is obviously the best of the best in terms of a front seven. And how do the Packers counteract that? What does Matt LaFleur do? And it's also really important that Matt LaFleur just keeps it within himself. They, we know the relationship between he, him and Kyle. We know Kyle has had his number. He can't get too cute. He, he has to just play his shit and do exactly what he's been doing for the last nine games. And if that happens, Packers might be in it at the end. I think 10 is too many points. I think it's disrespectful to what Green Bay is. I think I will say this, the last thing, and this, you can't measure this. Everybody expects San Francisco to waltz into the Super Bowl. Everybody believes that San Francisco it has this clear path because Dallas and Philly lost. And that San Francisco is just gonna just jog into the Super Bowl. And they're gonna be there against whoever's in the AFC. 
I think I saw something. AFC's a bloodbath while San Francisco will be in the Super Bowl. That's how people think it right now. And that just adds to the chip in the Green Bay shoulder of the nobody believes in us, of the house money Packers that has that doesn't know better, that doesn't know they're not supposed to be here. And that doesn't really give a fuck that they're here, that they're not supposed to be here because they're going to crash the party and they're going to root it for the 49ers. And if they do, oh baby, then we go to a whole new level. And then the little old conversation about 2010 enters the room. And don't think that the 2010 gods are swirling with the fact you're playing the one seed on a Saturday night, just like you were against the Atlanta Falcons. Now I, I will argue the 49ers are much better than that Falcons team. And then number two, uh, you probably are playing a division rival in the a- NFC Championship if you were to advance. This time the Lions, last time the Bears, also on the road, by the way. It's just it's getting a little weird. Not gonna lie to you. Not gonna lie to you. Just getting just a touch weird. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Maybe it's all just, you know, coincidence. Uh, that's we'll, we'll see when we kick off on Saturday. I got to figure out also, uh, before we talk about Marquette, I got to figure out what I'm doing Saturday. That that to me is right now a big stressor. Uh, my friends like to call myself that I beautiful mind things a little bit where I just, I start plotting out. And it, it's, I like to say it's like Charlie Day, Pepe Silva, uh, Carrie Matheson with her chalk, her cork boards. But it's like, okay, I watched the first game at home. Now some of you like, just do the same thing. You know, Murph and Mitch were with me. Just bring everybody back over. Let's have it. But it's Saturday night. You want to have a good time? Do we go to Worst Bar where uh, my guy Tim works, who Tim was the catalyst to the Bucks championship run at Broadhouse, our 13-3 Broadhouse record. Like, do we, and I don't even know if our record's 13-3, by the way. I I have made that up. Uh, We weren't at every, I'd have to look back and see when we were at Broadhouse, not at Broadhouse, but our record was pretty damn good there. Uh, we only saw, I think we actually only saw two losses there. But anyways, Tim's now working at Worst Bar. Do we go there in the upstairs? Do we go to Sluggos, where a couple of my buddies were at? And do we run it back at Sluggos on Saturday? Now, I, I love Sluggos, don't get me wrong. And, or do we go Neighborhood Draft, place we saw a win this year? I know some people, there's a lot of Walters buzz. There's a lot of opportunities out there. It's hard, man. I, as I said, I just want to get everybody together. I might have to just do a full, like, full-on Zoom call. Just get everybody, be like, all right, where are we going? Um, but we'll figure it out. Uh, I'll keep you guys updated. And I'll I'll try, I, I always say this, but I'll try to do better about sharing where the fuck we are. So you guys can come hang out, come say hi, uh, watch the game with us. As always, the, always the rule is if you find me out, I will buy you a drink. That is like... Say you listen to the show, even if you don't listen that often or you, you follow on social, that's always a let's let's have a drink, let's have a shot, the whole thing. That's that's always the rule. It's always been the rule. Uh, that rule will never change. All right, let's now talk about the Marquette Golden Eagles. Marquette kept the Wisconsin sports train winning weekend rolling uh, as this was a long weekend for some of y'all uh, with the win over Villanova on Monday afternoon, Marquette wins 87 to 74. Putting up 87 points against that Villanova team is not easy. I said that in the review and definitely, you know, I think popped some eyeballs, right? You know, Marquette definitely needed this win uh, after a really rough stretch with Seton Hall and Butler, losing Chase Ross, losing Sean Jones. They easily could have sort of fell into a quote-unquote tailspin. But Marquette did not let that happen. Marquette got back to basics. Marquette attacked the rim with such a ferocity, uh, going 30 of 40 inside the arc. They were shooting 59% as a basketball team in this game overall. Marquette was on another level on the offense, and it looked like the Marquette that we had seen in the past. I made the comment that Marquette had sort of lost its grit a little bit and that they not necessarily were reading their headlines, but they forgot what got them there. And this Marquette version looked a, looked a lot 
like the team that we saw last year. And I'd even argue it might have been even a better version of it because I, it's hard to remember a game where Jones, Iguodara, and Kolek were just all on their shit. They combined for 61 of the 87 points. And they everybody just put their head down and got to the bucket and did not stagnate. And it wasn't it was just unselfish basketball the entire day. And Tyler Cole took over late and Marquette pushed out this lead. They were, I mean, this game was 57 to 57 at one point in the second half. It looked like we were kind of heading for a finish, a good, like a solid finish. And Marquette finishes that game and scores 30 more points while holding Villanova to only 17. So finishing 30 to 17 after that 57 to 57 stretch, that's right, that's the margin of victory. Coincidentally enough, I didn't even realize this, uh, I'm looking at Ken Pop, that that was the uh, last 10 minutes of the game. They outscored Villanova 30 to 17 in that last 10 minutes. So that was, it, I mean, we must've been at 57, 57 at that point. And even though Villanova was hanging around, hanging around, they the biggest lead they had was 33 to 27 in the first half, six minutes in. So Marquette was just made it a point to figure out how to right the ship offensively. And this is again not a scrub team in Villanova. They are 38th ranked defensively in terms of defensive rating per Ken Pop. Like this, this is a good defensive team. This is a defense that held. Creighton to I think 60 66 points on the road so like this is not like a bad a bad uh, defense at all Uh, they definitely attack and Marquette absolutely took it to them and that is really impressive to see and it really says a lot about this Golden Eagles team that they were able to find the resolve and that they were able to sort of say, okay, we are down two guys and we just need to play our game. We need to do what is Marquette basketball. And that's exactly what they did really from the jump. And I was impressed with the second half and the finish and how they just were able to close this basketball game out. That to me is something we really haven't seen I, I mean, the Kansas game was sort of in, like Marquette had sort of had that. Maybe that's the only example I can think of where they were able to sort of get the, yeah, I mean, that game was, Kansas never really had a lead. Marquette was leading by 17, you know, halfway through that second half. I'm trying to think of an example. There really isn't one this year. Like Marquette has overwhelmed teams early on and they've just kind of blown them off the court and when they've won games. And it, it, or they've come back, like the Creighton game, for example, or UCLA game, for example. Maybe the Illinois game, I guess, is the one you could point to where they really closed out Illinois. They 19 to 12 in the last 10, 10 minutes. So maybe that one. But this is, to me, the best Big, big East win of the season. It's a, it's a boat of confidence that Marquette can't, that Marquette is not flailing. That Marquette is, it's not what's wrong with Marquette. It's not resetting expectations. I think the fact that Marquette has a good stretch here with not a ton of games is going to be really beneficial to them given their short bench and all the guys playing 30 min, 35 plus minutes a game. And now at the big three that is. And now I know you don't want to speak ill of people with injuries. And I think Sean Jones and Chase Ross are vital. And I think their energy is great. But getting Kolek, Iguodaro, and Jones to play 37 minutes, 38 minutes a game makes Marquette better. It just does. Like you can't, kind of can't deny that. And I, I think the hope would be that as the year goes on, that Zade Lowry and Trey Norman can play a little bit more, that once they get comfortable, once they get the deer out of the headlights and start just playing hoops, that they're gonna actually you know, take some of those minutes and maybe Ben Gold, if he can get a little stronger, a little more physical, maybe he can too. But I, I love the fact they're going to get 38, 39 right now and play a ton of basketball. And the schedule allows for it. You don't have a game till Saturday now. You well rested into that one. Then you play a sandwich spot against the Paul, which I hate. I do not like that. 
before trying to get revenge against Seton Hall. So you don't play a ton of basketball in that stretch, right? You get a few days off then before DePaul. You get to head home. It's not like an extended road trip. You'll head home. You'll head out to DePaul. Then you'll head home to play. Seton Hall will be in the building for that. And then, it, it, yeah, and really the only one where it's difficult is the Saturday to Tuesday turn when they go to Villanova. And then after that, you play Georgetown on Saturday. You get a little bit of a break. Like, they have a couple of those Saturday-Tuesday turns. That's the only when it's, like, really, really tough. And it's really sort of jammed in there. But, yeah, the schedule should work in Marquette's favor with this short bench. And it does sound like Chase Ross is going to come back, potentially, before the season is over. Stevie Mitchell mentioned once we get Chase back, it'll be a little different. But, yeah, I, I can't help but be impressed with the fact that Marquette just went back to basics and focused on, all right, we're not making a ton of three-pointers right now. They are the worst team in terms of the Big East when it comes to three-point shooting. They are 27% from three in the Big East, and that ranks 11th right now. So guess what? Marquette's fourth in terms of two-point percentage. And what did they do? They went to the paint. They got to the paint, and they made it happen. And that, to me is very impressive and that's something that i think marquette needs to keep doing i think it's going to be you know it's hard sometimes you you get those open shots but just keep driving dish find those looks if you have an open look take it it's not like you can't but try to think about scoring at the basket and trying to make those quick quick baskets because they play with such a pace that they can overwhelm teams and it's really hard for a team to keep up and Villanova ran out of gas. Like Villanova started out hot. They were seven to thirteen from three, and they finished the game fourteen to thirty-three. So they went seven to twenty the rest of the way. Like that's that's a that's a challenge, right? So I, I do want to grade the box score. So I'm doing this a little bit differently. Uh, last time we we did we would do grades where we'd A, B, C, and D. I'm just gonna kind of look at each individual guy and just kind of talk about him, you know, like that, and then hand out a grade. Uh, Oso Yadara, 18 points. Uh, he had seven rebounds, five assists, three steals, A for me. I mean, offensive rating of 172, which was the highest in terms of the starters. Oso, you know, set the tone early with the dunks. He he also did okay on Eric Dixon. Uh, Eric Dixon, pretty good player. I can't believe Eric Dixon's still in school. Uh, but he, he did well besides closing out on him on some threes. So I guess if I'm looking defensively, maybe I go like A minus, B plus for Oso. But it was still a really impressive day for Iguodara in general um, and was was definitely present you know in that entire game. Tyler Kolick gets a... I'll, I'll do solid grades. I can't do A minus, B plus. But Tyler Kolick gets an A, uh, 21 points, 11 rebounds, five assists. Uh, he also had two steals. Uh, the only thing with Kolick that was missing was the threes. He was one of five, but he hit a big three late. Uh, Marquette was up. I think it was they were up seven, and he hits the three. And he had just this total takeover down the stretch. Like part of that 30 to 17 finish was Tyler Kolick just being the guy. And as I pointed out on Twitter slash X, like Tyler Kolick kind of brought back that fucking mentality that I think we've all been sort of looking for. And he really hasn't had the last few weeks. But it was it was definitely uh, you know a really sort of aggressive day from Tyler Kolick. So here's how I I can't think of I might have paint touches that had this thing. I apologize to people. Usually I'm able to find this stuff, but I'm not able. But basically, what you should know is Tyler Kolick took over that game in the in the last stretch, and it was just all him. And he really just made shit happen in that in to finish that game. Cam Jones also gets an A. I know we're handing out A's left and right, but the big three was awesome in this game. 22 points for Jones, eight of eight from inside the arc. He also made two threes. He had five or six rebounds, four assists. I mean, that's the other thing. You know, looking at all three of those guys, not only do they have 61 points, but they all grabbed what five plus rebounds. They all had three or more assists like that's I mean that's really good shit that's exactly what you want and Cam continues to be on another level I'd say right now to me he's the team MVP uh pointed out by Mark Stroman that uh Cam Jones 16 of 22 in the last two games 
Uh, he's been really special um, and continues to be. Uh, David Joplin gets he gets a B. I, I, no, not a B. It's a C for me for David Joplin. Uh, it, rough day for the Jop wagon. Uh, seven points only. He made one three. He did hit a big three, and it, the three was big. It was in stride. But I, I just wish we'd get a little more aggression from David Joplin, a little more part of the offense. I wonder if you can use Joplin in a dunker spot more often and try to get him just quick, easy buckets. I, I think he hangs around the three-point line a little too much. Uh, but yeah, so not exactly. But defensively, it was okay uh, for Jop. So it was it was a solid, solid effort from him. Stevie Mitchell gets a B for me. Uh, nine points for Stevie. Uh, he also had three steals in this one. Uh, he he had some big buckets in the second half too. Like it all did. Like, but he he to me was a guy that always is not afraid to take it to the rack. Loves to do it. Pretty fearless in that regard. And I you know plays solid solid defense. I think he was Justin Moore and TJ Bamba's you know main guys. Like Bamba and Moore had really rough games. You know, they were bailed out by Mark Armstrong, who had a really solid game, as well as Dixon, or else this could have got really ugly. Uh, Bamba was what was, he only ended up shooting the ball five times. Uh, Justin Moore was one, let's see here. He only, he was basically a three-point merchant. Uh, was, let's see, two of seven, no, three of three of seven from overall. But yeah, Bamba and, and Moore didn't do much. And Mitchell, you know, is obviously a credit to that. And then on the bench, Ben Gold, C for me. Uh, I just, it was not exactly a great day for Benny. I did have three assists early on and three blocks. So, but it just, need to see just a little bit more. Zade Lowry, B, I liked the Zade Lowry minutes early on. He hit two threes in the first half. Uh, need to see a little bit more from Zade, but he's there's something there. Uh, it's slowly building. Trey Norman, I'll, I'll give it a D. Was what do what they say when you couldn't grade somebody like a do not complete or something like that? But yeah, I can't give Trey Norman a grade for seven minutes. He did get a bucket in there, um, but I, I need to see just a little bit more. So we'll see see what happens against St. John's. But all in all, man, great win from Marquette. Glad to be back in the win column. Uh, and looking forward to seeing what's next. I, I don't think that this was exactly a mirage, right? It's, you know, if you did this against DePaul or Georgetown, you'd be like, all right, well, let's see it against a good team. But this is a good team. Like, yes, is it Villanova's of old? No. Do I think Kyle Neptune's a good coach? Not really. But I, this, this is still a really talented roster. And the fact Marquette basically put on a clinic, only turned the ball over three times, too, in this game. That's another note from this one. Like, they were just on another level offensively. And if they can continue to kind of play like this, I'm now now on the road, that's going to be the next step. And kind of then you can say, all right, you're all the way back. Look, teams have valleys. And it would be really good to get that St. John's win. I think that St. John's win is low-key important. I know St. John's is playing good basketball right now, but... I think that's going to be a big one for, for the Golden Eagles, as well as for the Red Storm. So we'll see what happens there on Saturday. I can't wait for that one. All right, that does it for today's show. We'll be back on Thursday with Mitch after Bucks Cavs. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Packers Niners. See what else. See what else uh, comes through the hopper. All right, take care, guys. Have a good one. See you. Bye.